This morning, I'll just begin by asking, if you were able to ask for anything in the world, what would it be? We could probably get a lot of different answers to that question this morning. If we went out and polled everybody on the streets or around town, we would certainly get plenty of answers. Uh, Some would ask for money because just the thought of maybe getting caught up on some bills provides some much-needed relief. Beyond that, though, just imagine the good impact that you could have on the world if you had more resources to invest in good things. Others would ask for success in school or in your career because the satisfaction of a job well done or even just the recognition of that success is appealing to you. Others might want to change something about yourself, uh, whether it's something emotional or mental or physical, right? But many of us would say if we could ask for anything in the world, many would ask for something for someone else, someone that you love. You would want your children or your grandchildren or your friends and your family to live a blessed and happy life walking with the Lord. You'd want your community to be strong and vibrant. You would want your church to be healthy and growing. If you could ask for anything in the world this morning, though, what would it be? What would it be? The answer to that, I think, depends a lot upon who we are and upon where we are in our lives, upon both our identity, as we sang, we are who God says we are, and upon our circumstances, though, just what's going on at the moment in our lives. We also know, though, it depends upon the identity, I think, of the person who was asking us the question. If I come to you and say, what can I do for you? Then your answer is probably going to be different than if you're sitting in the Oval Office across from the President of the United States and he was to ask you that same question. Who's asking the question makes a difference. And that's even more true when we go to where we see the Scriptures pointing us this morning with the Lord being the one who is asking that question, asking that question of King Solomon. That's what we see happening here in 1 Kings chapter 3. As we pick up in the story of God's unbroken plan for his people this morning, we're reminded again of something we've seen before and something we'll see again. God works through unlikely people. He restores those who have fallen. As we looked last week at David and Bathsheba, we saw clearly the fallenness of David, his brokenness, his sin. But we also saw that as God's kindness led him to repentance, we saw David restored to the point that Solomon the son of David and Bathsheba would ultimately succeed him on the throne. And that's where we find ourselves in the story this morning. First Kings chapter three, we'll pick it up in verse three. It says, Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statues of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. First thing we're told about Solomon is that he loved the Lord. He truly loved the Lord. He wanted to serve him. He walked in the statutes of his father. He made offerings and sacrifices. In so many ways, Solomon was living in fulfillment of God's word to his people. God had spoken to his people back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16. Listen to these words and see if they sound like what we just heard about Solomon Deuteronomy 30, 16, if you obey the commandment of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So we hear that, we look again at what was written about Solomon here in 1 Kings 3. We see Solomon loved the Lord. 
not just in word, but also in deed. He walked with the Lord. The trajectory of his life was driven by his affection and devotion to God. That's Solomon. That's who Solomon is, to whom God appeared and said, ask what I shall give you. Picking it up in verse six, Solomon says, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? So God comes and basically says, I'll give you what you ask, just ask. And Solomon doesn't immediately ask for money, does he? No. Doesn't immediately ask for military success or for strength or for power or for health or for long life. No, he doesn't start out by asking for anything, actually. He starts out by praising God, by praising God for his great and steadfast love. Solomon had witnessed firsthand just how good God had been to his father, David. Solomon starts worshiping because he knows that just the very fact that he is sitting on the throne at this moment is a testimony to God's enduring faithfulness to keep his promises even in the midst of our brokenness. Solomon is not saying all these things here about his father, David, to ultimately point to David's greatness, but ultimately to point beyond David to the God who raised him up and provided for him and forgave him and restored him and sustained him. It's God's unrivaled power and uncommon wisdom to which Solomon is pointing here. It's God who put Solomon on the throne, even though he was a little child, Solomon would say. And it didn't make sense. Solomon is confessing here just how inadequate he feels for the job before him. He says he might as well not even know whether to go out or come in. Solomon is acknowledging this great disparity, what's really an infinite chasm between his own understanding and that of the Lord who sees all and knows all more intimately than we even know our own hearts. So Solomon is confessing his need for wisdom in light of God's infinite wisdom, but also he confesses his need for wisdom in the shadow of the task before him. Just imagine the weight that's on Solomon. I mean, no, he's not literally a small child, but he is a very young man at this point. And he found himself now in the position of king and not just the king of any nation, but the king of God's people. So Solomon recognizes that God sees the world differently than he does. And then that he needs the wisdom that God possesses. So what does Solomon ask the Lord to give him? He asks for an understanding mind to govern his people. Solomon requests the ability to carry out the work that God had set before him, which is another theme that we have seen several times in the unbroken story of how God is at work in our world. God calls his people to do things that are beyond their own capability, beyond their own power. Moses could not speak he certainly couldn't part a sea, but the Lord could. And so he called Moses and worked through Moses' life. Joshua and the people couldn't conquer the impenetrable walls of Jericho, but the Lord could. 
And that's who Solomon's talking to right here in this moment, in this dream, knowing he's not always gonna be able to reason his own way through his life as a leader. He's not always gonna know exactly what to do in every situation as king. So he asked for wisdom to govern God's people, to discern between good and evil. Solomon asked God to give him what he will need to be who God has called him to be. And so it continues in verse 10. We find that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, And have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Solomon could have asked for anything. The Lord says that, right? He could have asked for long life or riches or victory over his enemies, but he asked for the wisdom to do what is right. And his request pleased the Lord who immediately promises Solomon wisdom that exceeds any who had come before him or any who would arise after him. An important reminder that God is not stingy with his people, but is eager to pour out every grace that we need to bear the weight of the responsibility in this fallen world. And so God gives Solomon the wisdom that he asked for, but he also gives him riches and honor. And those things, he says he gives them in abundance that was not compared to any king before or after him. God says that if Solomon walked in his ways, then he would also bless Solomon even with a long life. So God starts by commending Solomon for not asking for everything other than wisdom, but then promises that he will pour out upon him everything that he didn't ask for and include the wisdom that he'd asked for. I don't think we should take from this that if we just figure out the right prayer to pray that we can unlock something or there's some secret formula where if we just pray the right thing, then all of a sudden we'll only have health and wealth and prosperity. There's not some magical formula by which we can lock God into doing what we want him to do. But what we do see here and what we see elsewhere throughout the scriptures, especially throughout the book of Proverbs, is that when we walk in the wisdom of God, it leads to our flourishing. Wrong thinking leads to wrong actions that generally lead to poor outcomes in our lives, while clear thinking leads to right actions that lead to positive outcomes for us and for those around us. That doesn't mean that nothing goes wrong, right? Because we know that our lives aren't just shaped by the choices and decisions we make, right? They're also shaped by the decisions and choices of others around us. Solomon's story shows us that, but a wise life isn't this dream that's too good to be true either. Because we see here, right, when Solomon wakes up from this dream, we see what he does. He goes on worshiping the Lord and seeking God in his way until we come to verse 16, where we read the rest of the story. It says, then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, This woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. 
There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. So here's Solomon in a moment when he needed wisdom. He needed the wisdom of God to discern between what is right and what is wrong. If there had been eyewitnesses or some way of knowing who was telling the truth here, then Solomon's judgment would have been easy. It would have been simple. Even in the midst of this tragic situation, he could have been able to see clearly, but that was not the case. We know, as is often the case in this fallen world, that the truth can be clouded by lies. The truth can be clouded by misinformation. It can be clouded by the sin of our own hearts and also the sin of others. And so then how would Solomon discern between what is right and what is wrong? How do we discern what is right and true and good in moments when wisdom is required? We see Solomon in verse 23. It says, then the king says, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Solomon found himself at a moment that required clear thinking, clear insight and judgment. He desperately needed the wisdom that he requested from the Lord earlier in the chapter. And thankfully, the Lord had given him that wisdom. And so exercising that wisdom, Solomon sets out to clarify the clouded truth before him. In his wisdom, Solomon knew that the mother of the child would not consent to the death of her child. Perhaps he also reasoned that his perceived intention to kill the child would reveal the character of the women before him, which is often the case, right? When we find ourselves under pressure, we find ourselves in difficult situations. What is truly going on in our hearts is revealed in our actions and in our words. And Solomon was right in those things. The mother of the living child cried out, let her have the child, just don't put him to death. And so Solomon saw clearly the situation before him. It says all Israel heard about this case. They heard about the judgment of Solomon. They heard about the great wisdom that he had exercised. And Solomon's wisdom and his judgment is certainly commendable. His heartfelt desire to do what's right, it is impressive. And so it's good that people would honor him for that as their king and as their leader, just as it's good for us to encourage and celebrate when people use their God-given gifts to carry out their mission for the Lord. But notice also where the people ultimately arrived in verse 28. They didn't stop by being in awe of Solomon. They didn't, at the end of the day, just say Solomon is so wise, none compare to him. No, 
they recognized the source of Solomon's great wisdom. What became clear to the people of Israel was this unbroken truth about God, that God gives wisdom. God gives wisdom. He gave wisdom to Solomon, and he would give wisdom to us today as well. So how should we then respond to this story of Solomon and the wisdom the Lord gave him? We might not find ourselves this week confronted by God in a dream. We were, to be honest, this year may feel a little bit more like a nightmare. But in a time where everything feels up in the air and we're constantly faced with decisions about what is right and what is wrong, what is the wisest way to move forward, we need the Lord to give us wisdom as well because there isn't a chapter and a verse for every single decision that we confront in our lives on a daily basis. We need wisdom. And so despite thousands of years between Solomon and us, despite the differences in our circumstances, we can take heart that God gave wisdom to Solomon and God has not changed. And that means we can learn a few things from Solomon's story that can guide us in our need for wisdom as well. So, First, like Solomon, we need to remember God's steadfast love. Remember God's steadfast love. That's where wisdom starts. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Right? Solomon trusted the Lord with all his heart. And that's why he begins by recounting how God had kept his promises to his father and demonstrated his unfailing love to David. God's steadfast love is what fueled Solomon's faith and God's steadfast love is what fuels our faith. We trust God because we know that he is good and because he is true, because he does what he says. He keeps his promises. He never changes. Knowing God and trusting that his way is best is a prerequisite for us walking in his wisdom. So we need to first remember God's steadfast love. We need to trust that God wants what's best for us. We know that we've all sinned against God. And the Bible says that our sin separates us from him for eternity. But the Bible also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Wisdom begins with remembering the steadfast love of God. Or this morning, if you're here and you've never before trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then wisdom begins with receiving the steadfast love of God. Place your faith in Jesus today. Follow him with your life. He is the one who can bring you forgiveness. He's the one who brings grace and healing and strength. As Paul would ask in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has demonstrated, he's proven his love for us. But in the midst of the battle and in the fog of this fallen world, when things get busy and things get crazy, we can get disoriented and distracted and we can be at risk of turning to other sources of wisdom for our lives. So we constantly need reminders of God's love for us. Colossians 2.3 tells us that it's in Christ, that in Christ is the one in whom all, are all, Colossians 2.3 tells us that it is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom, all knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul would write, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness 
and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's when we remember God's steadfast love that we also remember just how completely and totally reliant upon him we are, that it is his power and his wisdom that has saved us, that has seen us through to this point, and that will see us through to the end. Remember God's steadfast love. Second, like Solomon, admit your need for wisdom. Admit your need for wisdom. It can take a lot of energy to always give the appearance that we have it all together, that we know what's going on. We can find ourselves trying at times not just to convince others, but also just to convince ourselves that we've got it all together, that we're holding things together. But like Solomon, we need to make an honest assessment of who we are and where we find ourselves. When Solomon remembered God's steadfast love, it led him then to a place where he was able to admit his need for wisdom. When Solomon looked back on God's faithfulness that had brought him to this moment in his life where he was now the king of Israel, he couldn't help but confess his own feelings of inadequacy compared to the infinite wisdom of a holy God. Solomon admitted his need for wisdom. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The path to wisdom requires us acknowledging that we don't know all things, that we don't have the answer to every situation, that we don't always even see things as clearly as we need to. And so we need the wisdom that comes from the one who does know all things, the one who does see all things clearly, just as the power and strength of God infinitely exceed our, so does his wisdom. And so there's peace in acknowledging that when it seems like everything is coming apart, the same one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is the one that's holding all things together the one who's working all things together for your good. So we can take a long, deep breath this morning because holding everything together isn't your job. It's not my job. The Lord said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. When we look around at everything going on in our country, let alone in the world, it certainly doesn't always make sense from our vantage point. So if we're going to make the right decisions and we're going to walk the right path, we need direction from above. We need direction from the one who can see how all of this fits together and where it all is headed. Solomon admitted he didn't see as the Lord sees, so he needed the Lord's help. And so do we. So admit your need for wisdom in light of the Lord's infinite wisdom and also in the shadow of the task that is before us. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, then God has called you, but he's also commissioned you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. For Solomon, God placed him on the throne in the position of king over his people. For some of you, God has placed you in the position of father or mother, of husband or wife friend or mentor. God has given some of you the work of teaching. Others call to serve in 
the medical field, but wherever God has placed you, he has you there for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. But in the fog of life, that plan may not always be easy for you to see. As a parent or as a leader in whatever capacity the Lord has called you to, there are moments when the next step isn't lit up with flashing lights and bright flashing arrows to guide you. So whatever you do and wherever you are, everything the Lord calls us to do, it requires wisdom. As I said a minute ago, there's not a chapter and a verse that tells us every single thing we're to do when it comes to maybe which house to buy or what job to pursue. So many of the decisions we make on a daily basis require wisdom from the Lord. And so we need to begin by admitting our need for wisdom. And then third, like Solomon, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. That begins by just asking. Asking Solomon, ask God, give him understanding, an understanding mind to discern what's right as he governed the Lord's people. Solomon asked for wisdom from God to carry out the work of God. There are many things we do not have simply because we have not asked or because we have asked wrongly. James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Seek wisdom. Ask God for the wisdom you need to do what he's called you to do, the wisdom you need to be who he's called you to be. It's the obvious next step, right? After we admit our need for wisdom, we need to ask for the wisdom that we need. We also have to acknowledge, right, there are so many other sources of wisdom, or at least purported wisdom, or so-called wisdom that vie for our attention, and that we hear coming to us from the TV, or from the radio, or from social media, wherever we turn, wherever we look, wherever we listen, we hear other voices, other sources that would tell us that they are the way of wisdom. We need to seek wisdom, ask God for wisdom. We tend to do that on the big stuff, right, in our lives when we have big decisions, when, as I said, when you're buying a house or changing jobs or you're considering some major life change, we come and we ask God, for wisdom, as we should in those moments, right? That's what we need to do. But we don't just need wisdom on the big days, as we would see them, or in the big moments. We need wisdom from God every single day. When we're confronted with someone who's contentious or divisive, we need wisdom to respond with grace and with clarity in that moment. That may not allow for days, hours, or for weeks to sort things out and to figure out what the next step is, right? We need to be asking for and seeking wisdom even before we find ourselves in difficult situations. Seeking wisdom, it means not only asking for wisdom, but it also means doing what the Lord called Solomon to do. In verse 14, the Lord told Solomon to do what? To walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. Seeking wisdom includes walking with the Lord and abiding in his word. Let's just say it this way. If we are always waiting for the crisis before we ask for wisdom, then we're going to find ourselves often caught off guard, are we not? Just put yourself here in the position of Solomon, where these two women came before him in 1 Kings chapter 3. Most of us aren't adjudicating cases like that on a regular basis, but still we can learn from the way Solomon reacts. Solomon was walking with 
the Lord. And as a result, we don't even see him break stride when confronted with this seemingly impossible situation. Why? Because walking with the Lord and filling his heart with God's word, Solomon wasn't just asking God for wisdom. He was constantly and continually seeking wisdom in his life. So his momentum was toward wisdom. It was in the way of the Lord. He built up the muscle memory of wisdom in his heart and in his mind so that when he was confronted with this difficult situation, he had wisdom to draw upon to take the next step. So we need to seek wisdom. Ask God for wisdom and then use the gifts and the resources he's given us to seek after that wisdom. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If that's true, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to ask God to give us wisdom and then turn around and listen to anything and everyone other than the Lord, does it? If wisdom comes from the mouth of God, and if we need wisdom, then we should ask him for wisdom and then place ourselves as often as we can in a position to hear what he is saying. That means we gather here as a church to hear God's word proclaimed. That means we spend time in God's word on a daily basis. That means we share his word with others. It means we build relationships with one another in the body where we can speak God's words into one another's hearts and into one another's lives. That's how our hearts and our minds are shaped by the wisdom of God. And even then, even then, we're not always going to know immediately in every situation exactly what we're supposed to do, but we're much more likely to see things as they are when we see them as God sees them instead of just seeing them the way that the world sees them or seeing them just through our own eyes. We need wisdom. So seek wisdom, ask for wisdom, walk with the Lord, walk with others who are walking with the Lord, develop a rhythm of time spent in God's word because it's from his mouth that wisdom and understanding come. Seek wisdom forth. Finally, like Solomon, walk in wisdom. We can know that God's way is better than ours. We can admit that we need wisdom. We can ask for, seek, and receive wisdom. But then what? Then it is time for us to walk in that wisdom. And that is what God called Solomon to do. We see as Solomon heard the case of the two women before him, he did just that. Solomon exercised the wisdom God had given him for the purpose to which God had called him, the governing of his people. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to exercise the wisdom he's given us toward the purpose to which he's called us. Whatever you do, right? Wherever you are in your work or at home or at church or in our community, God has called us to walk in wisdom. Paul would write in Ephesians 1, 16, And 17, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus was that they would receive the spirit of wisdom. Walking in wisdom, it means not just that we know what's right in a given situation, but that we have the strength and the courage to do what's right when the moment arrives. Remember what Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For the Christian, walking in wisdom means walking in the Spirit, who gives us not only the ability to discern 
what is going on around us and within us, but also the ability to act upon what we see. Walking in wisdom means walking in the Spirit, and that means not allowing temporary things to distract us from what is eternal. Walking in wisdom means staying on mission. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will what be my witnesses, the Lord said. For Solomon, that mission was the government of God's people. For us, that mission, we sum it up as a church, as love, live, and lead, that we would love the Lord with all our heart and love your neighbor as yourself, that we would live according to God's word and according to his calling, and that we would lead others to know the love of Jesus Christ and to follow him as Savior and as Lord. Staying on mission requires focus, and focus requires wisdom. Wisdom at times to say no to good things that may not be the best thing, and wisdom at other times to say yes to difficult things that God might demonstrate his grace and his glory in our weakness. Because like Solomon, when we walk in wisdom, ultimately we won't be pointing others to our intelligence or to our strength or to our power or to our gifts or to our abilities. We'll ultimately be pointing them to the God, the giver, and the source of wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today that you are the God who gives wisdom. Thank you for your faithfulness and your steadfast love. That you so love the world that you sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins. Today, God, we pray that you would help us to remember your steadfast love, that it would shape everything that we do and say and think. Pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room who has never received the love of Jesus Christ today, trusted him and followed him as Savior and Lord, we pray, God, today that your spirit would move to convict and to call and to draw them to yourself. God, we pray this morning that you would help us to see, have eyes to see, or by your spirit, the disparity between our wisdom and yours, to see our need for your grace in our lives, for for your vision, for who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do, Lord. We pray that you would help us to confess our need for you, to seek the wisdom that you have for us, Lord. And then, Lord, help us to be faithful to walk in that wisdom, to be true to who you've called us to be, to be true to the mission you've called us to. We pray that you would do now in our hearts and in our lives what only you can, that you would move in a powerful way to draw us to Christ and to draw others to youth through us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.